Would you turn tonight to the book of uh, Hebrews again? Let's look at our text that we've been looking at in these uh, sessions. We've been talking about a wonderful, exciting subject. Right? Don't you remember everybody was really excited about it last night? Hmm? What are y'all laughing for? Yeah, we were excited because we're excited about the Word. And this is the Word. You know, a lot of times people, you know, they fancy themselves word people. But a lot of times there's a whole lot less word than what they think, you know. But you, if you love the word, you love all the word, right? Not just your favorite verse. <laughs> and you believe all the word's good. And the part you think you don't like is either the part you don't understand or the part you're unwilling to do. Right? But it's all good. All the Word is good and wonderful. His Word is life to those that find Him and health and medicine to all their flesh. So let's take some more tonight. Hebrews 12. And I'm reading to you from the the Living Translation. Down in about verse 5. Hebrews 12, 5. He said, have you quite forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you, his child? He said, my son, don't be angry when the Lord punishes you. Don't be discouraged when he has to show you where you are wrong. Reckon the Lord ever have to show us where we're wrong? If he doesn't, that means we're right about everything all the time. That's just not so, is it? No. You know, nobody you know, no preacher you know, and, and I, I mean none, are right about everything. Did you hear me? Of course, that includes you. <laughs> Why? Because you don't know everything. You, the, the Apostle Paul caught up to heaven, visions of the Lord Jesus, tremendous revelation. He said, we know in part. What does that mean? It's parts you don't know. Right? And with parts of things you don't know, you can go to, you can jump to wrong conclusions because of your ignorance and be wrong because of lack of understanding, lack of knowledge, lack of wisdom. And so there, it's just an ongoing thing that the Lord needs to correct us. Now we gave an illustration. Uh, on Sunday morning, I believe it was, about flying. I'm a pilot and fly and enjoy flying. And uh, in flying a plane, just like driving a car, you got to make corrections. How many knew when you pulled out of the driveway, you had to change the course of your vehicle? Right? And how many know that between uh, your house and here or your work and here, how many corrections did you make of the course of that vehicle? How many would it have been? A hundred? Be more than that. See, every time you moved the wheel, any, that was a correction. Wonder how many times you moved the wheel. Well, it would have been for sure thousands. Right? Even on a short drive. Now, some of them were big corrections. Right? (laughs) Right? Like when that fella pulled out in front of you. 
Or, you know, when you pulled out, you had to make a big sweeping turn. You know, you went from uh, north to east or something like that. But then when you're out on the, on the freeway, small changes, but a lot of them. Well, how many know that we got a course in our life? Where actually, you know, the, the previous verses talk about running your race. We're on a course. And the Bible talks about in Proverbs that the path of the righteous grows brighter and brighter to the full day sun. We're on a course. We're on a path. But how many also know that a lot of people get off track? They get off course. You know why? Because of a failure to make corrections. I said because of a failure to make corrections. I know uh, in the earlier days of my ministry... I was ministering primarily in the area of healing, working in the healing school with Brother Kenneth Hagin. And uh, I, I studied other people in, in times past that were mightily used of God and greatly used of God in healing. And I noticed over a period of months, I had access to some videos and some books, and I was watching and listening, and other people had been used. And numerous ones of these got off in their ministry. And a number of them died young, died prematurely. I won't call names, but if you study some of these things, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, Numerous men and women, though they were mightily used of God, they got off, they taught wrong doctrine, they did some things that weren't right, all the while having some outstanding miracles in their life and ministry, but got off enough that their life was cut short. Some of them died in their mid-30s. Some of them in their 40s. Far too young. Far too young. And after studying that for some months, it began to weigh on my heart because I began to realize a lot of these guys, they knew so much more about God than I do. I could tell it from reading after them. Man, they knew some things about God. They were used of God. And I began to think, well, if they got off and they knew more about God than me, how can I keep from getting off? And in my immaturity, I became concerned about it. I remember one day coming into the healing school auditorium. I was going to speak that day. And it was on my heart so strong. I just fell on the floor and began to pray and and cry. Some before I said, Lord, Show me, I I don't see how, I don't see, you know, how they got off. And I don't know how I can keep from getting off. I can't trust in my superior understanding. I can see they knew things about you I don't know yet. They were used more than I've ever been used. How can I, I can't just say, well, I'll be smarter. Did you hear me now? How can I keep from getting off? And thank God he spoke to me. I mean, it was burned in my spirit. I wrote it down. This is what he said to me. He said, son, everyone, I don't mean I heard an audible voice, but inside me he's talking to me. He said, son, every one of those individuals, I warned them. I, I sent people by them, to them in the last stages and, and told them what to do and what to change and what was wrong. They didn't just plunge off because they didn't know any better. They didn't receive my correction. He said, your humility is your protection from deception. Did you hear that now? Your humility is your protection from deception. One of the outstanding characteristics about pride is that it is unteachable. 
Did you hear me? Don't don't want to be told anything. Doesn't want to be corrected. Don't doesn't want to hear. But humility is teachable, correctable, pliable. And the Lord dealt with me. He said, uh, "Son, have no fear. Obey me. Walk in the light that you have. And if you begin to get off, I'll correct you. I'll show you. If need be, I'll send people by you. I'll do whatever's necessary. But the question is, will you listen?" Will you hear it? Will you receive it? That's the issue. How many believe God is faithful? He was not just going to stand by, watch you go off the deep end. He's going to help you if, if you listen. Oh, that's the big one. I'm thinking of numerous, several people right now, just in my few years of ministry, a couple in particular right now that have just blessed their hearts. Their life has not been a fraction of what it should be. One catastrophe after another. I mean, just just subsisting. I mean, materially, spiritually, relationship-wise, just one failure after another failure, born again. But just failure after failure, decade after decade. And sometimes people might look that didn't know the situation, didn't know some of the insides of it, and think, well, isn't that sad? But I know some of the details on some of these guys. I know numerous times when myself and others did our best to say, don't do that. Do this. Stay with this. Stay. Don't quit your job. Stay with your job. I know it's not a big deal. You're not getting a lot of money, but stay with it. Be faithful. Go to church. Just just stay in. I, you know, I know you, you don't seem like you have a big ministry right now, but just be faithful. Be a faithful church member. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Show up. You got to start where you are. Yeah. I know one fellow I prayed about. A friend of mine. And I prayed for him and prayed for him. And finally, the Lord dealt with me. He said, <laughs> he's kind of strong with me. He said, I told him to do two things. I told him to get a job and keep it. I told him to get in the church and be faithful. And he hadn't done those two things for 25 years. And until he does them, nothing's going to improve. My. See, so many times people are looking for some big spectacular something. And if you're not faithful in, in the seemingly little thing, you're not going to get more. More's not coming. A lot of times people sitting around waiting for their ship to come in. Ain't no ship coming. (laughs) Did you hear me? Because they haven't done what the Lord told them to do. Some of the basics. The first things. And that is the deal. You know, I've had people look at me and just, you know, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Do you see that? Yeah, yeah. But then just go right on and ignore you and do what what their flesh wants to do. Well, that's going to cost you. I said, that's going to cost you. It can, and you do that enough, it can cost you severely. It can cost you half the years of your life. It can cost you never reaching your potential in God. Did you hear me? That's sad. I said, that's sad. But it's not because the devil is so strong. And it's not because they're so ignorant they don't know anything. And it's not because God won't help them. It's because they won't listen. They won't, they won't heed. They won't take instruction. 
won't obey. Do you see that now? So correction is a gift from God. That was a little weak. Let me finish reading the text here. And I'll ask you again, see if you can work up a little more enthusiasm. He said, I'm reading the living again. Verse 5. Son, don't be angry when God punishes you. Don't be discouraged when he has to show you where you're wrong. For when he punishes you, it proves that he loves you. When he whips you, it proves you're really his child. (laughs) So his correction is a manifestation of his love. Why? He wants to keep us on course. He wants to keep us on schedule. Oh, you know, the Bible talks about a... Uh, there, there are numerous places in the prophets where you see this kind of phraseology where the Lord said, oh, that my people would listen to me. Oh, that they'd listen to me. And then they'd have had peace. And then they'd have had prosperity. I'd have given them the oil that flows out of the rock. I'd have, I'd have given them the rich things. I know uh, a few years. Well, let's see. It was uh, it was nearly 20 years. That's not a, maybe not a few uh, after we obeyed God and, and left our home and left our families and, and went out to Raymond and went to school and Lord dealt with me to stay there and, and help and assist, the Lord gave us a house, Phyllis and myself. And I mean it was nice. We believed for it for about that particular kind of house we believed for about 10 years. Sowing seed and believing and standing. To a couple of times we thought we had found it, but it wasn't it. And the Lord said, back off. But this one was it. It was our Ephesians 3.20. Exceeding abundantly above what we had thought or asked. Nice. Six car garage. Swimming pool. Tennis court. And I mean it just so much about it was just it was already built. But it was just like we liked. The colors. The materials. Now we've since moved to another state, but at that time, it was just, you know, and the Lord spoke to me about that house. He said, I found out that it was built the year we decided to go to Ramah. And uh, the Lord dealt with me. He said, when you obeyed me, I set that in motion for you. How many believe he knows where you're going to be in 20 years? He said, when you, when you and Phyllis stepped out, and oh, it was a step of faith for us. Oh, man, we did, we'd never been away from home, never even been to a big city. I mean, you know, we just country bumpkins, and we loaded up our little pickup. We looked like the Beverly Hillbillies. And um, we... Uh, what a step it was. And we, we lived in a rough little apartment in a rough part of town. That's where we were. And then we kept believing God and got to a better apartment. And then we got to a better apartment. And then we got to a little rent house. And then we were able to buy a house. And then we got a better house. And then we got a house. <laughs> I mean, what I'm talking about, this one I'm describing to you. And the Lord said, when you obeyed me, I set that in motion for you. 
And he said, if you stay on track, I've got things planned for you to intersect all through your life. And as you obey, they move in motion towards you. But how many understand if you don't stay on the right road, you won't intersect them. What if you get off on another road? Right? How many of you going from here to L.A., you got to get on the right road. If you get on one of the interstates that goes due east, you're going to go through some towns, but you're not going to go through the right towns. You're going to wind up somewhere, but not at the place you want to be. To wind up at the right place, you got to get on the right road. And you got to stay on the right road. How many understand that you could make a wrong turn? Wind up in some wrong places. I know one of the first meetings Phyllis and I did after uh, we got out of Ramah. I mean, I think we were like a week out of Ramah. Man, we had a opportunity to minister up north and, and we blasted out in our Oldsmobile 88. <laughs> and here we went. And we ministered for a week, a solid week in a little, little cramped ballroom, Holiday Inn and, and, uh, barely got enough offering to pay the expenses. We didn't have enough gas money to get home after the whole meeting was. <laughs> Thank God them days are gone. <laughs> and, uh, but we, I did, had agreed to speak for somebody on the way in. And, uh, I mean, I think they had 10 people in that church and they blessed us, man, I'm telling you, more than enough money to get home and, and some extra. How many of pays to obey God and don't get your eyes on people? I, you know, sometimes you hear people say, boy, you ought to go over there. You know, they got rich people in that church. But that don't mean they're going to give you anything. You better not get your eyes on so-called rich people. No. Just do what the Lord tells you. Keep your eyes on him. He'll take care of you. And I was, I was tired. And so... Uh, Phyllis said, you know, I'll drive. And I said, okay. So we, and, and we're real young. We hadn't been out and traveled much. And, and, uh, I'm laying in the back seat sleeping. Well, I woke up and Phyllis is crying. <laughs> and that was unusual. And I thought, what's wrong? I raised up and I looked and we were in a bad part of town. And there were folks eyeing us. And I said, just don't stop. <laughs> I said, just, <laughs> just, just keep moving. Just keep rolling. And um, she had taken the wrong turn. And we wound up in the wrong place. And that's how a lot of things happen. People at the wrong place, at the wrong time. Are you with me now? And in life, that's why so many bad things happen to people and tragedies and failures. uh, And they try to make out like, well, we don't know why God did all this. But the reality is they're on the wrong road. Yeah. They shouldn't even been going through that town. You understand what I mean? Spiritually speaking, they shouldn't even been in that place in life. And that's why the enemy had opportunity and access to the safe place is right in the middle of the highway on the plan that God has for you. Amen. Stay on it. Stay. If you start getting off, he'll tell you if you listen. Everybody say it in the middle of the perfect plan of God. That's for me. But in order to get in there and stay in there is going to require a lot of corrections. 
little corrections all through every day. And if you get off, it could take some big corrections to get you back on track. Do, are you a receiver of correction? Yes. Amen. Well, let's go into something else this evening. Talking about this. Uh, turn with me, if you would, to First uh, Samuel, the 15th chapter. The further I go, this keeps growing on me. And that's good, but then on the other hand, I don't see how I can get through all of it either. So y'all just believe with me, right? You, We'll go the right direction. In 1 Samuel 15, I want you to see examples of how people respond incorrectly and then how people respond correctly to correction. And in 1 Samuel 15, you're going to see somebody who did not respond correctly. They rejected and refused correction. And it cost them severely. It is Saul who was the first king of uh, Israel and, and Judah. And in 1 Samuel 15, verse 1, Samuel said to Saul, this is 1 Samuel 15, 1. The Lord sent me to anoint you to be king over this people, over Israel. Now, therefore, hearken thou to the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I remember what Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all they have and spare them not. Slay man, woman, infant, suckling, ox, sheep, camel, ass. What does that mean? Everything. Everything. So Saul gathered the people together, and he took the soldiers, and he went. Now, uh, let, let me back up a little bit. What's the first thing he, Samuel said to him? Now, you know who Samuel is, right? He's the prophet of God. He's the man of God. He stands in the forefront of the prophet's ministry in the nation. In one sense, you could say there's no prophet that, that stands in a stronger place than him in the nation. And he's the one that God sent to anoint this man king when he's running after some lost donkeys, right? Had not a clue about being a king, right? And, and, and he, he starts out his conversation by saying that, doesn't he? The Lord sent me to anoint you to be king over his people, over Israel. Now listen to the voice of the words of the Lord. Why did he start out that way? He's saying, I have a right to talk to you. Now, we're going to get into some of this some more tonight as the Lord will help us. I'm, I'm beginning to ask and answer a question here. Who corrects who or whom? Who has a right to correct whom? Not everybody has a place to correct another person. You've got to see where your place is and not get out of your place. Some people should not be trying to correct Certain people in their lives. But here Samuel comes to give him instruction. And he starts out by why he has a right to tell him this. I'm the one that God sent to anoint you to begin with. Now I'm telling you this is what the Lord says do. So here they went. 
But you know the story. They got over there in the thick of it. And they won the battle. But they decided they would spare the animals and spare the king, spare some oxen. And they kept finding some really nice stuff. (laughs) And really nice animals. And so they decided it would be all right to modify God's direction because they are the ones on the scene. They know what's going on. So they feel liberty to adjust the instructions. Have you ever seen or maybe as a child played the game about uh, pass it down? Somebody on one end of the row will whisper something to the person sitting by beside them and they whisper to the next and they're supposed to pass it down. And by the time it gets down the row, about 10 or 12 people, it's totally different than what started out up at the front. That is not okay. That's a serious problem. We say, why? Well, how did it get changed? See, people don't just do that with people's words. They do it with God's words. That's just, that's just how they are. And why? Why did the message change so much from one end to the other? Because people in between did not respect the words. They felt free to put it in their own words and say what they thought the person meant instead of what they actually said. And this happens all the time with the Lord's words. You have to watch this about revelation, about word of knowledge, about word of wisdom. This has been a source of a lot of confusion. That sometimes somebody will get, they will legitimately get something from God in their heart. They'll get something. But then they'll put their own interpretation. And they tell what they think it means instead of what the Lord said. You see a lot of confusion in these areas. And so many times what you should do is just say, uh, what, what is it the Lord said? This is what I got in my heart. Sometimes people say, well, what does that mean? And many times you just have to say, I don't know. Let's try that out loud one time. I don't know. That's a new phrase for a lot of people. A lot of preachers have a hard time with that. They feel like they're supposed to know everything. and every, We already know you don't know everything. I've had people before ask me, well, Brother Keith, what about so-and-so? And they're asking me about a scripture. They're asking me about a, a doctrine or something, you know. And, and there's been more than once that I said, well... I don't know. And they look at you. And I've had people say, oh, come on, tell me, Brother Keith. I, you know, I can handle it. Go ahead. I said, no, I don't know. Oh, you just don't want to say. You just say, come on. And tell. No, really. I don't know. I don't know. But you'll find a lot of people have a tough time. You know, something will happen. And people will say, well, what does that mean? Or or what's going on? Or what's the Lord's doing? And I mean, just right and left, you'll find people, they blanch out into some kind of uh, explanation. And they're going to tell you. And they go around the world and talk for 30 minutes and say nothing. They should have said, I don't know. What does that mean? I don't know. I believe we will know. The Lord will show us, but I'd just be giving you my opinion if I said anything else. 
That's a whole message right there that we won't take time to, to get into. But, but what happened? They did not respect the words of the Lord. When the Lord says, go wipe everything out, what does that mean? Everything. So, the Bible said, verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. He said, it repents me that I set up Saul to be king. Man, that's strong. For he's turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel and he cried unto the Lord all night. He knew how serious this was. He knew Saul had crossed the line. So Samuel, verse 13, he came to Saul. And Saul met him and said, Blessed be thou of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Had he? Do you think he really believed he had? Oh, he knew. And Samuel said, What means this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? (laughs) What's that I hear? Is that sheep? And I think, is that cows? What's that? And Saul says, well, you know, they, uh, they. Now he's feeling some pressure. Right? He's feeling some heat. So what happens now? They. Boy, that's been human nature from the beginning. Right? Remember in the beginning when Adam and Eve ate the, ate the forbidden fruit? And, right? <laughs> Adam, did you eat the fruit? He said, that, that woman, the woman, woman, did you do that? She's going, the serpent. And that serpent was trying to point, but wasn't nobody there. And, Part of being a real man of God, a real woman of God, part of being somebody with integrity and maturing ones is that you take responsibility for your actions and your words and you don't make excuses and you don't pass the buck. You you take responsibility. If you broke it, you broke it. Right? If you messed up, you're the one that did it. You admit it. How many remember 1 John 1 9? Hmm? How many, who, who knows 1 John 1 9? What does it say? <laughs> Tell me how it starts out. If what? If we what? Confess our sin. Then it goes on talking about that God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. If what? If we what? What does confess mean? It means, well, one word literally for confess is acknowledge. Acknowledge. And so many times people, they call themselves acting on 1 John 1, 9, but they're not. They kind of mull around and go, Lord, I don't, you know, maybe I missed it. I don't know. If I did, I'm sorry, but, but I don't, that's not confessing anything. What is confessing? I did it. It's sin. This is why so many people just keep falling back into stuff. Because they never judge sin as sin in their life. 
They just play with it. And even sin is an unpopular word in church today. Hmm? Now, you know, if you'd listen to people talk in church, they no longer sin. They, uh, they have problems. Right? And you don't hear about repentance. You hear about people working on it. Right? Well, what's wrong with brother so-and-so? Well, he has a problem with women. Yeah? What's that mean? Well, he's, you know, he slept around with some, some women, but he's working on it. What does that mean? What does that mean he's working on it? <laughs> he had three women on the side and now he's down to one? What does that mean? Now, I know it sounds funny, but do you, th- is this not where much of the church world is at? So-and-so, well, they got a problem, but they're working on it. No, here's the reality. They're in sin, and they haven't repented. They haven't repented. Repent means change. And it just don't hold water to say, well, I'm trying, but I just can't help it. It's just bigger than the both of us. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I tried, but it just came on me, and I just, next thing I knew. (laughs) I'm sorry, but I don't believe it. It's not true. I said it's not true. There is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above what you're able. But will with the temptation make a way of escape. There ain't no such thing as a temptation rolling over you that was just too big for you to resist. Oh, I didn't want to, Brother Keith. I didn't want to. I know I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. That's why you did it. Because you wanted to. And you did not have to do it. You could have said no. You could have resisted. That's why you got to repent. That's why you should have to confess it. If you couldn't help it, you shouldn't be held accountable for it. If you couldn't help it, it's not your fault. And that's what most of the people want to believe. It's not, people love what I call no-fault religion. Man, you, you, you know, you want to get people to jump on your bandwagon, preach that. And that's what a lot of churches are preaching in different forms and, and degrees. What do you mean? No matter what happens, it's not my fault. And no matter what didn't happen, it's not my fault. God in his curiousness and mysteriousness. And I mean, there's a phrase that's quoted by half the church world, just like it's scripture. Well, you just never know. You just never know what the Lord's going to do. That is not in the Bible. How do we get off into all that? Well, Saul said they, the people, the people brought them cows. Yeah. 
Verse 15, he says it again, because the people, you know, they spared the best of the sheep and they spared the best of the Lord. But, you know, it was for the Lord. It was to sacrifice to the Lord. And, of course, the rest we have utterly destroyed, just like the Lord told us to. Well, this is wrong on many levels. Is he receiving correction? What should have been happening here? The man of God, the man that stands in the strongest prophet's ministry in the whole nation, the man that anointed you king is looking you in the face. Sent by the almighty. And he says, what's these sheep out here? What's these cows out here? How many know it is time to repent right now? Right now. It is time to hit your knees. It is time to go on a three-day fast. Did you hear me? I'm serious. I'm serious. But it got worse from here. He said, well, you know, the people, the people got some cows and, and the people got some sheep and they got the good stuff, but they got it for the Lord. They got it to give to the Lord. Uh, Samuel said to Saul, stand still right there. Let me tell you what the Lord told me last night. How many know he ought to be trembling? He ought to be trembling right now. And Samuel said, well, say on, tell it. Samuel said, when you were little in your own sight, were you not made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a journey. He told you to do something. Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites. Fight against them till they be consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you fly on the spoil and you did evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone the way the Lord sent me, and I brought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people, they took some spoil and some sheep and some oxen and chief things that should have been destroyed, but they did it to sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, friend, this is how you get judged. This is how you disqualify yourself for the blessings of God. This is the very nature of the devil himself. This is what happened with Lucifer, who was the anointed cherub, was in the presence of God, but he rebelled against God. How many understand? He, just in the next verse, he describes it. He calls it rebellion. I want you to understand how bad rebellion is. God hates it. It is the very nature and the very character of the devil. And it should be dealt with strongly. The best time for people to learn about it and deal with it properly is when they're small, small children. But we, we live in a society that is so ignorant about these things. You see a little two-year-old pitching a fit. And the parents laugh and say, well, she has a strong personality. <laughs> Tell them to do something. They go, No! That's not okay. I said, that's not okay. Their future is being affected right now. 
Whether they learn how evil this is and whether they learn to put it under or whether they yield to it and yield to it and yield to it and yield to it and yield to it until their whole life is ruined. If you're going to be on the perfect path God has for you, if you're going to find the ultimate place, if you're going to intersect all those wonderful blessings he's got set up for you, you got to be correctable. And when he calls you on something, you do not get up in his face. Did you hear me? When he called you on something, you do not backtalk him. You got to know how to repent. You got to know how to put your nose in the carpet. Did you hear me? You got to know how to humble yourself before the Lord and say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I displeased you. I'm sorry I didn't do what you told me to do. And you're not going to do it if you're making excuses or if you're blame shifting. That's what pride does. Pride makes excuses. Humility makes adjustments. Did you get that now? Pride makes excuses. Why are you so late? Why are you 30 minutes late and you're making everybody else wait? Well, I, uh, you know, I had to do this and, and somebody called on the phone and that's pride. What's humility? What does humility say? It's no excuse. I'm sorry. Won't happen again. Are you with me? How many understand? We live in a generation that knows precious little about these things. They know how they feel. They know what they want to do. They know how to yield to their flesh. And that's why people are robbed of God's best. That's why they live on such a low, low level. I want God's best. I want to intersect the blessings. I want to get all the things that God has planned for me. I want to enjoy the glory and the spiritual experiences. I want to enjoy the fellowship. I want to be used to the maximum. I want to see the full fruit. I want to be the biggest blessing I can be. Amen to you. Got to be teachable then. Got to be correctable. See, uh, now we, we know the rest of the story. You know how Saul wound up? You know what happened to him after this? Have you read the rest of the story? I mean, he was God's anointed, head of state, handpicked by the Almighty, enjoying the blessings and favor of God and support of God. From this point, he went down like a rock. Next thing you see, he's out trying to talk to a witch, trying to find somebody with a familiar spirit and get some direction about what the scared spitless about the battle the next day where he and his boy died in the prime of their life. Cut off. And see, the wisdom of God sees where it happened. Where did it happen? It happened when he was loose with God's direction and thought he could do anything he wanted to do. But I believe he could have been salvaged here. God's a merciful God. He's a great. I believe he could have been spared if he would have responded right, right here. Even though you've blown it, even though you've messed up and, and missed it, that's not the end. If, 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 if you'll humble yourself. And not blame anybody else and take responsibility and repent and be corrected. He said, I did do what the Lord told me to do. Who's he talking to? Who's he in the face of? 
Samuel, God's anointed that was sent there by the Lord, speaking the words of the Lord. Samuel, verse 22, he said, Does the Lord have his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? How many know you can't rebel against God and then show up at church and give a big offering and everything's okay? If the Lord tells you to be at something and you decide not to go, but you're going to send money and help them. Is that okay? Uh-uh. I've had people that was supposed to be helping me in the ministry before. Oh, Brother Keith, you know, man, God sent us here. God sent us here. We're supposed to help you. I said, okay, all right. And then something came up that was right for them. And I said, all right, guys, be ready to do this. Well, you know, we got some things going on. And I'd like to, I'd love to. But right now, we just got other things going on. Maybe next time. I said, oh, fine, okay, that's all right. And they left, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, I didn't say it was okay. I thought, hmm. Just because I told them it was okay for them not to do it, doesn't mean the Lord said it was okay. Well, we'll, we'll just send some money and help y'all. If the Lord told you to be there, you best be there. Right? If he told you to push the broom, you can't hire somebody else to push it, and it's going to be okay with him. Right? There's a reason why he wanted you on the broom. <laughs> right? You can't change his plan and then you will out, we'll send a big offering or we'll do this. That's not okay. That's not okay. To obey is better than a sacrifice and to listen and hearken is better than the fat of rams, big offerings and all kind of stuff. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Now let me just stop right here. Is witchcraft bad? Is it? Is idolatry bad? What if you came by your fellow Christian's house, and you knocked on the door and there's no answer, and you went around and looked in the window, and they had them a bunch of candles burning, and they had killed them a goat there in the middle of the... uh, the, the living room and they had them some stuff drawn and, and they had some incantations and boy, they got them a big witchcraft thing going on. Would you walk away and go, well, you know, I guess everybody practiced a little witchcraft every now and then. <laughs> huh? But how do people feel about rebellion? Do you see how I many, a lot of Christians that think, well, you know, I guess we all got a, a little rebellious streak in us, you know. That's like saying we all practice a little witchcraft here and there. Right? Just as serious. What if you came over to another brother's sister's house and, and same thing happened. You looked in the window there and they got them an idol set up there. <laughs> and they're falling down and, and praying to it and burning incense to it. Would you walk away and go, well, you know, no big deal. I guess everybody uh, worships idols a little bit here and there. Huh? Would you? Or is it a big deal? It's a huge deal. You worship the Lord your God and Him only. You don't pray to anything else. You don't bow before anything else. Well, what did he say was just as bad? Stubbornness. Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And you find people that even brag on how stubborn they are. 
That's like bragging on being an idol worshiper. Just as bad. Well, I have a strong personality. I ain't nobody's fool. And people try to get spiritual on it. Well, I submit to the Lord, but I don't submit to any man. You're full of rebellion. Did you hear me? I obey the Lord, but I don't obey any man. You're full of rebellion. Because God speaks to you through people. He's going to lead you through people too. Did you hear me? He's going to hook you up with people. How many understand Saul was talking to a man this day? Right? He wasn't seeing the Shekinah glory in front of him. Who was he? He was looking at a man, flesh and blood man, Samuel. Right? And that's why a lot of times people feel like they can get up in somebody's face. Because this is just Samuel. But it ain't just Samuel when God sent him. Did you hear me? It ain't just Samuel when the man's telling you what God told him to say. God takes that kind of thing personally like you got in his face. Like you backtalked him. And how many understand you don't do that? You don't do that. You don't do that. He said, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. And even then, how many know at this point, if you had any sense, what would you be doing? You'd be saying, oh, oh, God. Oh, you'd you'd fall on your face. But you know what he was concerned about here? How he looked in front of the people. Saul said to Samuel, well, you know, I have sinned. I guess so. You know, I've transgressed the commandments of the Lord. You know, because I feared the people. I, I, I got scared. Liar. He's the king. He can do what he wants to do. Now, you know, if you would, uh, pardon my sin, but come with me and worship the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not go return with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord. The Lord's rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, he, Saul, laid hold of the skirt of his mantle and tore it. He's tearing the clothes off the man. What's he saying? Hey, preacher, you come back here. You know who I am? I'm the king. You don't walk away from me. Did he receive correction? He rejected correction. How did it affect his life? Here he gets another word. He's already heard. You've been rejected. That wasn't enough for him. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom from Israel from you this day and given it to a neighbor of yours. He's a better man than you are. The strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. He's not a man he should repent. Then Saul said, yeah, I've sinned. I've sinned. But honor me right now, please. You know, come with me before the elders of the people and before all Israel. And and, and so we can go worship God. How many understand that? The people ought to be the last thing on your mind right now. God just told you that's it. He's still concerned about public opinion. Putting on a show. And you read the rest of the story like we've already talked. That was it. That was the end for him. He was cut off. He never reached his potential. Sad. Well, go with me to, you're here in 1 Samuel. Let's look at another case that contrasts sharply with this. It's in uh, 2 Samuel. 
Go on over to 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter. Here's another king who missed it. King David. We already know from other scripture, this man, God said, was a man after his, God's own heart. What kind of man is that? Now, how many remember what Jesus said? Come and learn of me. For I am what? Meek. Humble. Lowly of heart. Now, see, a lot of times when people hear meek, they think weak. Don't they? In our society, meek and humble is equated with weak and spineless. Nothing could be further from the truth. Proud people are weak people. Did you hear me? I know it sounds strange, but we've got to get our mind renewed. Proud people are the weak people. Proud people are trying to cut their anger and they're being so adamant and they're being rebellious. They are trying to hide all their insecurities. They're weak. They're insecure. They don't know who they are. They don't know what they are. It takes strength. No matter who's looking. No matter what's going on. To humble yourself and say, I'm, I was wrong. I was wrong. You're, you're right. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. That takes strength. I said that takes strength. It's not easy. I said it's not easy. Oh, but it pays off. Because the humble get grace. I said they get grace. God will help you. He'll bring you out. And the humble stay on track. The humble stay in the plan. The humble stay on the path. Everybody said out loud, Lord, correct me. I receive it. David had uh, missed God. Big time. You know the story. He stayed home from one of the campaigns. And he got bored. He's king. He's got everything. And one night he's up on top of his house that's taller than anybody else's house. And he's looking around. And he sees a woman bathing on the rooftop. Which was not an uncommon thing in those days. But because his house is taller than everybody else's house, he can see it. He sees this woman. She's naked. She's bathing. And she's a looker. And he's a man. How many know what it's time to do right now? What's it time to do right now? You want to get back in the house. Get back in the house. Right? It's time to get back in the house. And how many know, we've all been there. Not necessarily in that particular set of circumstances, but in a situation where you know you ought not be looking at that, you ought not be listening to that, you ought not be thinking about that. It's time to leave, change the channel, turn it off, go away, right? And you know, you might try to pretend to somebody else, but you know in your heart that you decided to stay. People try to pretend like... uh. Oh, that woman down there? What naked woman? There's another story about a young man named Joseph. Anybody remember him? Righteous young man. A young man now in slavery 
Potiphar's wife got to looking at Joseph and got her eyes on him. He's a good looking young man. She's not a moral woman. She decides she wants him. So she's dropping hints and, and she's sashaying around the house improperly clothed. And she's saying suggestive things and it ain't working on him. And one day she arranges for everybody to be gone and she had it set up. She planned this thing. And she gets him in the part of the house and she comes in and she ain't clothed right at all. And she's looking too good and smelling too good. And she's saying things and he's a young man. Yeah, he loves God, but he's a man and he's flesh. And it got to working on him so strong, he couldn't stay and talk. What did he do? What did he do? Come on now. What did he do? He ran out of his coat. How many of it comes time where it ain't time to talk? It ain't time to look. It ain't time to, it's time to, it's time to run. Literally, sometimes it's time to run. Because you, if you stay, you're done. How many know you can't trust your flesh any further than you can throw it? I'm talking about your flesh. How many say your flesh, your, not, not your neighbors, your flesh will do stuff. If you let it, it'll, it'll sin. It'll do weird stuff. It'll do perverted stuff. If you yield to it, there ain't no satisfying the flesh. It's one drink today, it's five tomorrow, it's three bottles the next week, next month. You understand what I'm talking about? It just, you, you wind up doing stuff you never imagined you would do. So what's the solution? Don't start yielding to the flesh. Don't start. And you make it easy on yourself by not feeding the temptation. Smart people, wise people, go out on the on the roof and they see the woman go, whoa, 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 whoa. I got to get back inside with myself. Yes, I do. <laughs> right now. Pull the blinds. Lock that balcony door tonight. Huh? I got no business around that door. And if it's working on you strong enough, I believe I'll go up to the summer house. I'm going to go away for a day. You see what I'm talking about? See, people get in trouble because they kid themselves about temptation. Let's say you used to have a real problem with drugs. You used to have a real problem with alcohol, whatever. You got no business hanging around a bar. You got no business hanging around a place where you know they sell drugs and do drugs. You get delivered and now you're, you're married to the Lord Jesus. But if you used to run around with wrong spirits, you used to hang with them. I'm talking about wrong spirits. And sometimes they'll pull up in your driveway on a Saturday night and honk the horn and go, hey, Jesus, party, come on. I mean, man, you ain't been having enough fun. Don't you remember when? Hey, we used to do it back in the day. Come on, it's us. And you could be unfaithful to your husband, the Lord Jesus, by yielding to these wrong spirits. So what do you do? 
The, uh, the writer of the Proverbs teaching his sons about the prostitute, he said, don't go near the door of her house. What does that mean? You got no business in that part of town. Well, we're just going to go down there to see how bad it is. Yeah, we're going to, you know, we're just going to go to see, we're going to read these books on witchcraft and devil worship so we'll know how the uh, the devil works. You got no business reading such a thing or having such a thing in your house. Did you hear me? And you need to know when something's working on you, be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. And if you if some temptation's been pulling on you to have a drink, then if you have to, you drive five miles out of the way, but you don't drive by that liquor store that you know is right there and you've been looking at. Amen. Did you hear me? If you have to, pull the cord off of your TV and mail it to somebody. <laughs> Make it easy. You see what I'm saying? Make it easy on yourself. It's like this. Say you're trying to lose some weight. It's a lot easier to pass by the grocery store than it is the ice cream aisle. Huh? And it's a lot easier to pass by the ice cream aisle than the ice cream that you brought home and sitting in your freezer. Make it easy on yourself. Don't mean you're weak. Means you got some understanding. Means you got some wisdom. Make it easy on yourself. But if you find yourself in a situation where you're tempted, it ain't time to talk and reason and explain when it's working on you. Get out of there. I don't care if you did just blast out the door. Run, 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 run. And he did not fall. King David, on the other hand, fine man, fine man, loves God, knows God, but he's got flesh like anybody else. And I don't care who you are, you can yield to the flesh if you decide to. And the longer he looks at that woman, he thinks, man, that's got to be one of the best looking women I have ever seen in my life. So he just keeps looking. And look, how many know you keep looking, you're going to take the next step. Right? Well, I'll just meet her. Just see. So he met her. She's married to one of his uh, leaders in the military. Next thing you know, there's the affair. He blew it. Big time. Bad. And notice what happened. Second Samuel 12, verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David. Let me, let me, I'm not quite through with that. Can you take a little more? Huh? I know uh, a few years after I was in the ministry, I, I went back to where I grew up and there was a, there was a boy I used to run with before I got in the ministry. And uh, he'd, he'd already been married like three times. And, and we were in a place eating a hamburger. And a couple of nice looking young women came in. And he started off. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't even saved. And, and um, he's asking me about, you know, of course I'm married. And he's asking me, he was too, 
about, you know, boy, you know, if you had an opportunity, wouldn't you love to be with one of those women? I said, no. No. He said, oh, come on. I said, no. I'm not. He said, uh, you know that a fine woman like that, you know that you'd want to be with a woman like that? I said, no. He said, well, then you ain't even a man. You're not a real man. Of course, now, he should have been glad I was saved because years before, <laughs> you don't say you ain't even a man. I mean, that's that's when it gets real, right? <laughs> but, but, <laughs> we've been saved and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost. We walk in love now, right? Right, right. <laughs> and, uh, but the reason I bring that up is because people have that mentality that you know, that you're not a, you're not a real man. Well, no. If you can't control your feelings, it means you're a weak man. Did you hear me? If you can't control yourself as a woman or a man, it doesn't mean that you're more sexual than everybody else and you're better looking and you just have stronger desires. Everybody's got flesh. Everybody's got desires. It just means you're weak and don't control yours. Did you hear me? It's good to be in control. I said it's good to be in control. Paul, I mean, Paul's a man of God. What did he say in 1 Corinthians 9, 27? I keep under my body and I bring it into subject. I didn't say he did it one time. He said, I do it. I keep it under. This is an ongoing thing. Why? Lest after I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He said, I could blow it if I don't keep this body under control. No, everybody said out loud, I'm a strong man or a woman. I control my desires. They don't control me. See, people try to leave the idea sometimes, well, yeah, but that woman just irresistible. Ain't no such thing as an irresistible man or woman. Ain't no such thing. In fact, one translation says there is no temptation that is irresistible. There is no temptation that's irresistible that can't be resisted. So anyway, 2 Samuel 12, verse 1. The Lord sent Nathan to David. Now, here, here we are again. Does Nathan have a right to speak into David's life? He does. He, he stands in a place similar to what, well, almost identical to what Samuel stood in. He stands at the forefront of the prophet's ministry in the whole nation. And he came to David. And he said to him, David, King David, he said that there were two men in a city. He's telling him like this, this account that happened. In his kingdom, he said there was a rich man and there was a poor man and the rich man had exceeding flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. He brought it and nourished it up. It grew up with him and his children. It ate of his own food and drank of his cup, lay in his bosom and was to him like a daughter. And there came a traveler to the rich man. See, this is a... a Picture of wayward desires that just come along and show up in life. Traveler to the rich man 
And he spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man that was coming to him and took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man that has done this thing, other translations say, is worthy of death. He deserves to die. He'll restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and he had no pity. Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now I reckon they're in the throne room. I understand David, he ain't the president. He ain't the prime minister. He is the king. He has absolute authority. If he says all he's got to do is look over to his guards and go, and you're dead. And in kingdoms in that day, people died all the time for just saying the wrong thing and looking the wrong way at the king. So Nathan had to be secure (laughs) in God to come in here and do this. And I suspect it was kind of an uncomfortable, tense moment. It aggravated David. And the Lord will deal with you so many times like this because people tend to judge others' sin differently than their own. They won't let themselves slide on stuff. Because they understand all the, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Extenuating circumstances <laughs> surrounding their situation. But other people that you sin and I don't know what's wrong with you. And uh, yeah, you see so many things in this about correction. When something comes up and it makes you so mad, it just goes all over you. Watch out. Why? Why did that go all over you like that? Why did that make you so mad for them to bring that up? Because you have a problem up. You have unresolved issues in that area. You're guilty. That's why he was all caught up in there. He said, that sorry rascal. He did what? He's rich. He had all his sheep. He goes, takes that man's little pet lamb and gives it to the traveler. Instead of using one of his own, he ought to die. Of course, that's a strong sentence for over a sheep. He said, he ought to die. Prophet said, that's you. You are the man. But now look at his response. This is what I want you to see. He said, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, verse 7, I anointed you king over Israel. Does that sound similar to you? Have you heard that before? Some of the same words that uh, Samuel told Saul. I anointed you. King over Israel, I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and wives, gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would moreover have given you uh, such and such things. Stop right here. Stop right here. I don't care how miserable you are. I don't care how pulled you may be or tempted you may be. You got to believe that if you'll stay with God, he'll satisfy you. Did you hear me? You got to have confidence. Somebody said, well, my marriage is, it's, it's totally unsatisfying. Yeah, but God can take the bitter and make it sweet. God can do impossible things. You got to believe that God can satisfy you. 
He can give you everything that you ever thought you desired and wanted in the right relationships and situations where you're supposed to be. No matter how impossible it seems, you got to have that much faith in him. And you see, that's what the Lord was telling him. You did not have to go take another man's wife. If you didn't have enough, I would have given you more. If your present relationship wasn't enough, I would have given you more in what you've got. I would have added to you whatever was necessary. You did not have to go take what was somebody else's. How many believe that you can trust God like that? In all of our lives. There can be times when you are dissatisfied. You may be miserable. And it may look absolutely hopeless that you could be happy and completely fulfilled if you stay in the right places and situations. But friend, give God some time. Give him some time. Don't bail. Don't jump. Don't eat the forbidden fruit. Don't, Don't grab something and steal something that's not yours. Don't do it. Don't do it. Wait on God. Be strong. Control yourself. Wait on God and say, Lord, I know you're going to satisfy me. I know you're going to take care of me. I know you know me better than I know myself. And I know you know. I know you care if I'm hurting and if I'm not fulfilled. And I believe that you can do it. Whatever it takes. I believe that. And I'm going to stay. I'm going to wait on you. And I'm going to trust you. He'll do it. I said, he'll do it. Give him time. Say it out loud. Give him time. time. Wait on him. him. See, don't just jump and run. Jump out of the will of God and jump out of the place where you're supposed to be. Jump out of the relationships you're supposed to be in. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Say it out loud again. I'm going to give him time. I'm going to wait on him. I'm going to look to him. He'll take care of me. He'll satisfy me. He'll fulfill me. I'll let patience have her perfect work in my life and I will wind up complete and entire wanting nothing. Yeah, that's faith. God's done that for me in so many areas. So many areas. Thank God. Verse 9, wherefore have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you've taken his wife to be your wife. You you killed him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Have you ever read that story? I mean, that's a sad story. This man was faithful. He was loyal to David. Oh, man. And to execute a man like that to get his wife? You know what the Lord told in describing how the man stole the little pet lamb is exactly what happened. He said, now the the sword is not going to depart from your house because you've despised me. And he goes on. Verse 13 is David's response. He's the king. Legally. Physically, he could do anything he wants to do right now. He could tell this man to shut up. He could have him killed. He could have him sent out of the country. But what did he do? Verse 13, David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 
And I believe this was from the bottom of his heart. He probably came off of his throne. He, from what he, what the Lord said to him next, you can see he figures he, de, just like he passed sentence and said that man deserves to die, he realized I deserve to die. And he figured the Lord would be just. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. How many know when you really repent? When you really repent. And when some of the things happened that the Lord told him was going to happen. Tragedy in his house with his kids. His own son rising up against him. He had to run. Had to run out of his own home and out of his own kingdom. Because of his son. And while he was leaving... A man named Shimei came and cursed him and throwed rocks at him. And, and uh, David's bodyguard said, you're not going to let that dead dog curse you. Let me go over there and take off his head. He said, no, 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 I've sinned. Let him curse. And he pulled his shoes off and he was barefoot and he covered his head. And he left. But because of his humility... God brought him back. I said, God brought him back. God forgave him. It's a terrible sin. But God forgave him. And spared him. And let him live out his full length of days. The Bible says in the end, David was old and full of years and rich and had honor. He died an old man in his bed with honor and got to secure his son on his seat. After such terrible sin. Why? Are you with me through all this now? Why? Why? Because he received. He received the correction. As hard as it was, he looked at it and he said, Oh, I've sinned. Oh. Oh. He, he despaired. You can see serious repentance even after this. He saw it. He admitted it. He didn't fight it. He didn't make excuses. He didn't try to blame anybody else. He confessed his sin. Basically, he said, I did it. It's sin. It's awful. It's despicable. Have mercy. And instantly, I mean, right there on the spot, God said through the prophet, you won't die. Mercy. How many understand God loves you? Even when you've done despicable things, He still loves you. He still wants to pull you out. He still wants to spare you. He still wants you to get the things that He's planned for you down the road, even though you've sinned so terribly. And if, 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 if you'll be corrected, if you'll repent, you can still have some things after you've blown it terribly. Can you say amen? Amen. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.